Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And um, ah, this is episode 118, episode... Quite a few things to talk about today. So, uh, very, very interesting. And by the way, if you have any questions or comments... You can always email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com. And, um, you know, I'd love to see it. You can also leave them on the comments section of Podbean, which is where we create these podcasts. So it's kind of like the carrier and everything else, even though I think we're on iTunes and everything else and you know, all those kind of places. Um, it's interesting. You have a, a little venue where you can pick, a little menu, I should say, where you can pick uh, the, the carriers of the podcast. I think I signed up for all of them. Now, whether they've kicked me off or not, I don't know. Because of my, my uh, obviously, I'm opinionated and have, have beliefs. So, anyway. Uh, the first thing to talk about is the thing everybody has been talking and talking and talking about. And we've even talked about it the last podcast, maybe even the last two podcasts. The Alec Baldwin shooting. And um, I think I think it's been the last two podcasts because uh, essentially, I remember that was breaking news the day I was making, recording a podcast. So, you know, my things on to that. All I can say is, you know, there's been a lot of disinformation since this came out. There's a report of this, a report of that, or someone in someone who who uh, not authorized to make a statement, but on the, you know, but under anonymity has has made, uh, you know, has given us this information, and and whether any of that or all of that or part of that, how much of that is true. Um, you know, really remains to be seen. It's under investigation, so not a lot is coming out. But what we do know is this this poor woman is dead, the cinematographer, director of photography. I guess that's what they call a cinematographer now. But, you know, it, it's a person who basically is checking camera angles, how do things look. Does a lot of what the director used to do back in the old days because the directors are, are probably overloaded. Um and they they do a lot of they do a lot of that setting up you know making sure the camera's in the right place the lighting is correct and all this other stuff. So while she's doing her job, Alec Baldwin is handed a gun, told it's cold, and proceeds to practice with it to the point where he's aiming and shooting at the camera, and he shoots literally at the at the camera and hits this poor woman and also the uh, the movie director behind her. So, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, you should never point a gun at anything you're unwilling to destroy. That is, that is true. That is true. Um, there are times when guns are pointed at people, live, live weapons or actual weapons. Uh, do it in the military all the time. We have blanks and those, those goofy looking blank firing adapters they put on the end. So, you know, it's kind of blanked up, if you will. Um, but we use the same magazines, the same rifles. Um, they use blank cartridges, and they put that doohickey on the end. The BFA, we called it, blank firing adapter. And uh, those things are usually painted red or kind of a day glow yellow or something. So you can so you can see and know know what it is. Uh, so we point point weapons at each other all the time. So 
all the web all the rules you hear you know do have some exceptions obviously that's an exception um, another exception would be uh, firing sim munitions which are simulated munitions you wear kind of a head you wear kind of a helmet with a face visor and all that and you shoot these uh they're basically like paint bullets at each other uh that's used for force on force training and all that kind of stuff um you know that's that happens you know you you use that stuff you use the actual rifle the munition is designed it even it even cycles the action just like a, a genuine round would so it's it's really a you know an incredible um piece of piece of technology it was firing blanks blank firing adapter blanks in the magazine and all that and it would have an eye safe laser on the end and and that had an an auditory sensor so when you fired and it heard the bang it would just quickly fire a blink of a laser beam and then you wore you wore also wore a harness and all this stuff had battery you wore a harness around your head around your helmet which made it weigh like four pounds heavier and you wore this uh harness uh, that took the place of your uh, load-bearing equipment and it had sensors on it so when that little flash of a laser would hit it you'd get a little tone ee, and that would tell you you're dead or it'd go beep beep and that would tell you it was a near miss um you know all these things are, are out there and and of course that's that's in real world training then you have the movies which are make-believe land where guns can do incredible things they never run out of ammunition they they um a thompson submachine gun sounds like a 50 caliber you know i mean in movie land everything is make-believe but unfortunately the guns in many cases have to be real so they got to take particular care and when you are the actor and you're handed a gun and you're told hey it's it's empty uh you may not and everything's ready to roll you you may not have the luxury of being able to check it yourself because it may be set up with the right kind of cartridges maybe it's got a an empty chamber uh there you know wh whatever reason they've got these things set up and so you can't be monkeying with it they can't have the actors monkeying with it so you have to accept it on their their face value now if you're rehearsing as alec baldwin apparently was yet checking the gun would have been would have been just prudent and it would have been the thing to do um the other thing was as the so as the actor he's probably less culpable as the producer of the film he is very culpable because you know he hired a crew of idiots you know and and there are all kinds of conflicting reports what what's true and what isn't who knows but you know it just hearing some of this stuff is very disturbing you know live rounds on the scene because after hours they were going target shooting with the movie guns you know yeah what could possibly go wrong there
in-run organization where you had, you know, these layers of, of kind of uh, oversight and safety. So, you know, no, nobody really knows what happened except that poor woman's dead. And the most heinous part of this is Alec Baldwin, you know, he was he was all distraught and upset. And then, you know, he's posing in costume with his kids for Halloween, you know. Um, you know, if something like that had happened to me, I would be distraught for months, if not years. And I don't know that any normal person would ever fully recover from something like that. Certainly not a few days later posing in Halloween costumes. I mean, we're talking about years of, of guilt and regret and all this other things that apparently don't affect Alec Baldwin because, you know, there are the Alec Baldwins of the world and then there's just the rest of us lowlifes who, you know, we're just not nearly as great or as important or anything as them. And, and basically, if a few of us get snuffed, who cares? You know, he doesn't care. He does not care about ordinary people. And he doesn't care if they live or die. He doesn't care if he accidentally kills them. He puts on a big show because, after all, he is an actor. And then a few days later, he's yucking it up in a Halloween costume. You know, make up your own mind, but that seems pretty, uh, pretty horrible to me. Now, we also have another thing that's happening. This has been simmering for a long time, and it's uh, he's kind of got the, the nickname the Kenosha Kid. But it's his Kyle Rittenhouse... You know, and everybody knows the story. Hey, he's there's there's a sh police shooting in of a black suspect in Kenosha. There's the usual riots where the whole country, you know, the left lost their mind during the co that COVID summer, that 2020 summer, and and Antifa was just running amok. They were just running in everything, and this Antifa scum were running around and burning everything they could do. Had nothing really to do with protesting. A protest and a riot are two distinctly different things that the media has now all convoluted and, and grouped into one. So if they're on the side of the rioters, they call it a protest. If they don't like the rioters or the protest, they call it a riot. There, there you go. So rioters and protesters, there you go. Um, but anyway, uh, Antifa scum was uh, invading the streets, burning everything. And so, you know, a lot of people, especially if you've only lived in the United States and you've only lived under the rule of law and, and have seen law and order, our expectation for something like that is the police come in in force and they prevent what bad things from happening, okay? And if the police can't handle it, then we're going to see the National Guard. They're in there and they're preventing bad things from happening. And... Uh, that, that didn't happen during the summer of 2020 very often. These people just ran amok. They're scum, and they ran amok, and they were allowed to burn, pillage, loot, beat people. They were allowed to do all that. And, and very few of them actually got punished. There was kind of an effort under the real president of the United States, John, Donald J. Trump, to try to bring some of those people. state didn't want them brought to justice. And the deep state uh, essentially slow rolled everything, so that uh, uh, you know even the federal government was ineffectual in uh, stopping this stuff. So back to Kenosha, they had seen this all summer, and so when it started happening where they lived, people proceeded to arm themselves, and it was just not a capricious or arbitrary decision. 
Antifa was in fact in the streets. They were in fact burning everything. It was in fact an area that at least temporarily was without the rule of law. Completely without the rule of law. And some people armed themselves in preparation for this because they had seen it happen. They knew what was going to happen. And so there they are. Now what I have put an AR-15 into the hands of a 17-year-old, especially kind of a little chubby-faced kid like Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse, Kyle Rittenhouse, would I have actually done that uh, as an adult, as a responsible adult? And the answer is no, I, I would not have done that, but it, but it happened. And regardless, he has the right to self-defense, which he had to exercise three times against three filth bags. The first one was going to try to chop his heart out with a sword or something, or threatened to do so. Tried to grab for his weapon, so he shot him. Just that simple. The second one proceeded to try to beat him with a skateboard, using a skateboard as a blunt object. And you know what a skateboard is built out of? It's, it's that probably, well, these days it's probably some sort of uh, high-tech plasticky, you know, I forget what they call it, composite material, but it could also be laminated wood, which has a, a very thin edge, and if you swing it, it's, it's, uh, you're really going to do some damage to somebody. I mean, they, it, it is hard, and if you swing it with force, the human body will give way. So, uh, whether it's composite material or not, he, he actually hit him with it twice, was going to come in for a third deal and took a shot to the chest, killed him, which was, you know, just desserts. The third one is a dirt bag, and, and this is all on video. The third one is a, a not the first one, but the, the second two are on video. This guy comes up, and his testimony didn't even, his testimony didn't match the video and all the rest of it, but he came up, he pulled a, he pulled a pistol, and got shot in the bicep. <clears throat> I hope I hope that hurt. I hope that hurt. That's all I can say. He's a dirtbag, and frankly, I hope his arm never works right again. Keep him off the street. But anyway, I called it as soon as it happened, and as soon as that that um, video was out, I said, "Looking at the video, it's it's self-defense. There's no two ways about it. It's an open and shut case. He never should have been charged." never should have been brought to trial and now they're of course dancing around with this business of trying to say that there's well lesser included charges which is unconstitutional bullshit um you're either guilty or you're innocent of the of the crime you're charged with that they basically have said hey this person is guilty or not guilty but this person should be charged with these crimes and a trial should be conducted to, to establish innocence or guilt okay that's fine this business of well just let the jury figure out maybe there's other charges no no that's not how the system's supposed to work and frankly if they do that i think there will be some real trouble on one side and if he's of course acquitted which is what should happen there'll be trouble on the other they even got the national guard finally gearing up so hopefully we don't have Mad Max world again in Kenosha. And, you know, this is one of those things. It's, it's clear cut what it was.
but there are libtards and and the biggest one is a fool an ignorant gutter trash fool named lebron james who is a immensely wealthy and immensely famous basketball player who can't keep his mouth shut and and dribble his basketball uh, he was making fun of this 17-year-old kid who was on the kind of describing the attack, and, and the kid broke down into tears. Now, you can believe it. You cannot believe it. Nobody really cares. It's whatever the jury believes, I suppose. But, of course, LeBron James has to opine that it's all phony and, and all the rest of it. Um, you know, and, and this isn't the first time that this buffoon... He, he is a buffoon. He is a cartoon of a person. He's so stupid. Um, this isn't the first time he's spoken out against things that he really doesn't have the intelligence or the education to talk about. You know, we're talking about, when you talk about LeBron James, and I've said this before, here is a guy who probably came from a very modest background originally as a very young kid. But as soon as it was determined he would be a phenomenal basketball player all the goodies of celebrity and 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 all of that the pop culture just showered upon him so that if you remember and I've mentioned this before but if you remember he was a senior in high school and he was in a fender bender and it turns out the car he was driving was a brand new Hummer H2 okay now he came from allegedly a single mother uh, home now, I don't know too many single mothers that would go out and sign their name on an automobile contract for a Hummer H2 for their senior in high school. That just doesn't happen very often um, when somebody's coming from a modest background. So, you know, clearly the financing or the financial arrangements for this vehicle were done as some sort of a quid pro quo because... LeBron James didn't even go to college. He just went straight to the NBA. He was that good. He may be the best basketball player that's ever been. He may be the very best. But that doesn't make him a smart person. That doesn't make him anybody who can make fun of a kid who's on the stand, a 17-year-old kid. And LeBron has got a... His son is, what, 17 years old, I think, also. 18 years old, maybe. And I remember he, he stopped a game because the announcer said something about his kid. He didn't like it. He went down, stopped the whole game on the floor, went up and, you know, had words, quote unquote. I can imagine with how ignorant that was with the announcer. So he, you know, his 17-year-old kid has to live by different rules than this poor kid who, who probably was put in a bad situation but did the right thing in Kenosha. You do the right thing when you defend yourself. Because when you defend yourself, you're defending others from subsequent attacks by these predators. And the first guy he, he actually shot had been a convicted child molester. So who knows what else this guy has done or would have done. When you legally defend yourself, you defend all of us. It's just true. It's just true. And LeBron James is too stupid to understand that. Most liberals are too stupid to understand that. It's very basic. The less bad guys, the less bad things happen.
It's just that simple. Now, do I advocate that we should go around like vigilantes and shooting people? No, I, I do not advocate that. That's why I said, legally, self-defense defends all of us. It defends all of us. And that's enough to uh, talk about LeBron the moron James. And also, you know, what's going to happen? They're doing those final arguments, you know, the... The defense gets to do an argument, then the prosecution does an argument, and then goes to the jury. So we'll see. I would I would strongly guess that there will be trouble no matter what. There'll be trouble no matter what. Okay, another good uh, some good things. I don't know. I, I watch YouTube videos, gun videos. I, I also watch a lot of historical ones, all kinds of stuff. I watch all kinds of stuff. Usually when I have 10 or 15 minutes where I'm not doing anything else profitable, you know, I'll pop one of those on. I carry a pad around with me. I'll pop one of those on. And uh, the gun ones are usually pretty, pretty horrible. Um, the presenters are usually idiots. You know, I hate to say that, but there is not very good gun content you know, on YouTube, I, I don't really, haven't really checked out these other platforms, you know, and I'm really not going to shell out for Patreon, I just, I just don't think that it's, it's all that good, you know, five or ten bucks a month, just doesn't seem to be worth it to watch, you know, kind of amateur made videos, but there's one guy who's pretty good, he, his name is H.R. Uh, Funk, or at least that's the title he goes by. Whether that's his uh, real, actual name or not, I don't know. I assume, it, I assume it is. I assume those are his initials and his last name. So he was a Marine in the uh, 1980s, which would make him in his late 50s, early 60s now. Um, a very sharp guy, talks a lot about older guns and why they're still as effective as they ever were. The, he he helps dispel the mo the notion that if something's old it's worthless you know if if something's old it, it obviously is not doing what it was supposed to do and there therefore you know time has moved on and, and there are better things out there in some cases that's true I I would tell you that a, an AR-15 is for most purposes um, better than a 1903 Springfield I'll just just tell you that even though the guns were god it's only they were only like 50 some years apart really the first ar-15s and the 1903 yeah 50 56 years yeah about 56 years apart uh, it's not really a long time but you kind of think about how different those two rifles really are but just because the ar-15 is a lot more modern and you know a lot better um, for many purposes more useful for many purposes the 1903 still does what the 1903 has always done which has been a hard-hitting accurate reliable robust rifle and that's kind of an extreme example because a lot of people if you're drawn to AR-15s you're probably not drawn to a 1903 and in the old days it was vice versa and I've told the stories about taking my SP-1 out to the range when I was a uh, a fairly poor college student. And 
I would have my AR-15 out at the range, and the older guys, and a lot of these were greatish generation guys, like World War II, Korean War, they, they couldn't see it for dust. They thought it was just, what a foolish tinker toy of a rifle it was. And as we've seen, uh, the not only was the original AR decades ahead of its time, but it's really evolved into something which is it's really at this point timeless i mean it's at this point there's nothing better out there there's just still nothing better out there so you know it's it's a lot of it is about perspective but the perspective he brings this hr funk individual is that um hey there are a lot of great handguns out there that were state-of-the-art in the 50s 60s 70s 80s i could even throw in the 90s i suppose that are that are kind of looked upon as hey that's just old news now that's just that's just trash who who wants who's worried about that who would even think about that who wants anything to do with something like that um you know model 19 smith and wesson is still a, a darn nice revolver an excellent revolver um 1911 is still a great pistol Browning High Power, Great Pistol, Walther PP and PPK. Uh, they're, they're still great. And they do exactly what they were intended to do when they were designed and, and sub subsequently used. So, you know, there are great pistols out there that are still great pistols and are still get the job done and everything that uh, don't get credit. And that's the perspective he brings. And I, I really like that. I, I think that there's it's awful easy to overlook the goodness and it's awful easy to look at content creators that really don't know what they're doing the ones that dog out the m14 you know um i'm not saying they have to like it i'm not saying they can't criticize it or can't do a comparison a lot of the disinformation they put out is just foolish you know they'll talk literally that a gun is overgassed, and then they'll when they get a, a different gun that's got an adjustable gas block, they don't know how to do it. Just saw that on Forgotten Weapons with the Israeli uh, uh, FAL. You know, the guy couldn't, he, he explained how it works and everything, but he couldn't adjust it himself because he didn't, number one, use the correct techniques when he was shooting it. And uh, number two, he really doesn't understand because he really wasn't a soldier. He really doesn't get it. You know, it's it's like myself. Hey, I can watch YouTube videos. I could read books. I could play with computer simulators. And I could educate myself on an F-16. I could do that. I could, I could educate myself on an F-16. I'd know all the controls and what they did and everything else. No one in their right mind would let me near one. They wouldn't let me within five miles of one. <laughs> I'd wreck the thing taxiing if I could even get it to move because you know what I'm not a pilot I'm not an air force guy I'm not a pilot I don't know how those things really work and when you get these guys who weren't infantrymen who haven't lived with these weapons you know in the mud in the snow in the freezing cold you know have your have your m16 with you in a Korean winter or uh, have your M14 with you when you're, you know, doing a rotation at Grafenvir. You know, I mean, much less 
your M4 in the sand of, of the Middle East or your M16A2 in the, the you know sands of Saudi Arabia and Desert Storm. You know, these guys don't have that. I'm not saying every one, but most of them do not have this experience. And so therefore, they don't really know how these weapons really work. They don't really know how they're taken care of in the field. They don't really know a lot of what they profess to know. I mean, I understand you can go to Desert Brutality or Finnish Brutality or, or Brutality Brutality. I understand you can do that, but you are not an infantryman. That does not make you an infantryman. And uh, that does not make you the guy who makes a living with his rifle, with his machine gun, with his mortar, you know, with his AT4 anti-tank rocket. You know, it, you're you're not that guy. You're not that guy. You're not you're not a policeman in the street making a living with his uh, whatever whatever gun is on his hip. Anything from usually probably an M9 or a Beretta 92, I should say, to the Glocks, to the Smith and Wessons, to to the rest. I mean, you have to live the life sometimes, and a lot of these creators have not lived the life. So if you haven't lived the life, I don't want to hear from you for the most part. You can do comparisons and especially historical stuff and all that is fine, but there comes a limit where they uh, they do not know. They just do not know. H.R. Funk is a guy who knows. He has that street cred. He has, he has the demeanor. He has the stuff. When you look at him, he, he definitely looks like the real McCoy. So he would be the guy I would listen to and, and not some of these other ones. Um, you know, you talk about some content creators are just peddling, peddling junk. Um, there are rifles like the <laughs> Desert Desert Tech MDR Bullpup, and another guy who actually is was a Marine was pushing the Tavor for a while. All these, all these things. Um, you know, you really have to look at that with a grain of salt. You really have to look at that with a grain of salt. What is a Desert Tech MDR bullpup, which costs, I'm assuming, about $3,000? What is that going to do for you that your M4 is not? You know, and I, I realize, okay, you can set up the ejection to go out the other way if you're left-handed. Well, 90% of us are not left-handed. So what is it that a, a quote, one of these high-end bullpups does? I think it feeds into the stupidity that the shorter gun you have the cooler you are that must come I think that comes from the movies that also comes from a a military culture which lionizes special operations or used to be airborne troops remember they the airborne troops in World War II a lot of them had the folding stock M1 carbine it didn't make your M1 carbine any better and in fact I would tell you it made it arguably it made it arguably worse it made it less useful than a regular m1 carbine and in fact a lot of airborne troops probably the majority of them had regular stocked m1 carbines my uncle had one he jumped into normandy and i don't know if it was ammunition or the fact that you know carbine is really m1 carbine is good for some things and not good for others but um at a certain point he tossed it and had to use a captured German weapon 
I assume that was probably ammo, probably was probably effect. But the deal is, smaller weapons are not always better. As a matter of fact, they're, they're rarely better, and I would, I, I would even opine to say they're never better. Um, James Gavin, the commanding general of the 82nd Airborne, who is really a tough guy. I mean, he wrote a book called On to Berlin. If you've never read it, it's, it's a fantastic book. You should read it. But Gavin, uh, he jumped with an M1 rifle, an M1 Garand rifle, or Garand as the uh, new content creators are, the Garand, of course. You know, that's like, it's like tomato. It's like saying tomato. Garand is like saying tomato. You know, it's, it's just, I want some tomatoes to have with my Garand. So, uh, but they never say potato. They, they never say that when they want a potato. But uh, anyway, so he jumped with an M1 rifle because he said that is the weapon you want. It has firepower. It has power, power, power. You know, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth. He, I don't think he uses those phrases at all. But he said the M1 rifle was the rifle you wanted to have because it was accurate, reliable, powerful. Okay. For a handheld weapon, that's what you wanted. So the a lot of these smaller, um, you know, weapons, you you really have to evaluate what you're doing. I think the M4 was pretty good. That's one of the few times they've gotten away with shortening a weapon, and because at the same time it was being shortened, the the optics and other accessories were being enhanced they made up for that lack of range and we were fighting some wars where you know we were up close you know the you can say what you want to about the war on terror and you can say what you want to about how the politicians have goofed it all up but it was predominantly an infantry war there was a lot of high-tech weapons used but there was a lot of infantrymen you know go to go to fallujah go to the battle of fallujah um, it was infantry centric. I don't know that that was the smartest thing to do, but that's how it was. Um, I can tell you from my experience there, it everybody was an infantryman. Every convoy movement was a patrol. Every it, it was, you know. I, I can tell you, I had. I stopped counting at 220 patrols. I stopped. Oh well. But anyway, that doesn't mean anything. Um. Uh, to get back on the deal you know some of these guys are peddling junk and be be very wary be very very wary of of um, stuff that's going on there um, you know I'm just not interested in, uh, again and, and look at look at the what would stoner do rifle and some of these other things and you know make up your own mind but uh i think you can get you can get an anderson you can get an anderson m4 or m forgery you know m4 style rifle for under 600 bucks and i would bet i would bet that if you put the identical optic on it as a what would stoner do rifle that you would have just as good a rifle i guarantee you probably wouldn't even notice you might notice some of the weight difference but you, you probably wouldn't notice much and and uh you'd probably have a little less recoil i mean i like the standard a1 types because 
with 55 grain ammunition, they they have less recoil. They're they're pleasurable to shoot, very pleasurable, excellent weapons, excellent. And um, you know you can reach out to 300 and beyond with those uh, very comfortably. So they're they're good weapons. But I bet I bet the the $600 Anderson is probably 95% of the what $2,000 or so. What would Stoner do rifle? Just a guess, but uh, that's where I'd put my money. Okay, a couple other things. Uh, a few months ago, I was talking about one of the projects I've always wanted to do is shoot full wad cutters in a 44 special 44 Magnum. And even years ago, when they still had the mold available, I bought the 208 grain mold from Lee and put it on a shelf and never really did anything to it. Well, evidently, that was not the right thing to do. Because somehow, somehow in the intervening time, the little pins that hold the mold block to the handles, they, they weren't there. I mean, I don't know what happened to them. I think they were there when I bought it. I mean, I remember looking at it and, and uh, kind of inspecting it. But when I pulled it off the shelf years later, lo and behold, they are gone. So I... Uh, I basically said, hmm, how am I going to fix this? Well, Lee sells those pins, and, and they're, they're like a dollar and a half a piece or something. I suppose I could have sent them the mold and complained that I'd never had them or, or, or whatever else, but it was easy, and you just get a metal punch, a steel punch, and you, you, you basically you know hammer these little babies in, and, and you're good to go. So I've now cast up a sizable quantity of the 308, <laughs> 308, 208 grain 44 caliber wad cutters and uh, so I'm looking forward to loading those and actually testing them out I've got a 44 special revolver and I've got a couple 44 magnums and I'm going to try them out in in both special and magnum cases uh, that should be interesting I've always been a fan of the 38 special wad cutter I always thought that was a, that was a great load that was a great load to train somebody with even today I still enjoy shooting them. As a matter of fact, it's been a decade, but I did win a shooting. Did I win or come in second? I can't remember. I think I came in second. Uh, I it was I placed in a shooting match with with one um, using wad cutters in an old west type of um, uh, revolver, and you know it was really good. Uh, it shot well, and and I really liked it. But I grew up shooting wad cutters. I mean that that was. The cheapest ammo you could buy were 38 wad cutters in, in 38, of course. And they were also some of the cheapest bullets you could buy. You know, they had, that's actually when, you know, smaller companies would, would cast these things up. So, you know, I used to buy those, load them, and, and shoot them. And, uh, you know, they're, they were great. For target shooting, they're great. They cut a nice, they're called a wad cutter, I think, because they cut a nice round hole easier to score. You know, it's not a tear in the target, but it's more like a, a punch like if you have a paper punch you know the old school thing paper punch so wad cutters are awesome I'd, I'd love to get 45 caliber wad cutter um, the reason I, I think the reason you never saw a 45 wad cutter as a popular bullet was because frankly it, you know the the greatest use of target ammunition was in a 45 automatic which of course isn't going to load a full wad cutter. The 45 caliber case is too short, a little too stubby. You can't load a bullet to its just a, 
at the case mouth with that. So they went with what was probably and arguably the greatest cast bullet ever, which was the 200 grain semi-wad cutter, which was called a Hensley and Gibbs 68. And Lee makes a copy of it. And any 200 grain semi-wad cutter, 45 caliber cast bullet is essentially a copy of the old Hensley and Gibbs. So, uh, you know, that's a great bullet, and it does exactly what a, what a full wad cutter would do. And nobody used 45 Colt, and nobody even heard of 45 Schofield back in the back in the day. And nobody would have used those for target. There just weren't the guns available. Uh, Smith & Wesson didn't come out and buy 45 caliber end frame, 45 Colt end frame. So... You know, it was a, um, it was definitely something that was just never done. It, it would be a very cool bu bullet to try to use. Uh, you wouldn't seed it to flush with a case mouth, but you could seed it out. You could use it in 45 auto rim and a few things. And there's probably a couple of uh, small mold makers or custom makers that could crank something, something like that out in maybe 210 grains or so. That'd be an interesting, a very interesting bullet to try out. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Casting bullets and trying the little different things with them is, is a lot of fun. And it's, you don't, it doesn't take a tremendous investment in um, equipment to do that. And, and not a, a tremendous investment. It's not like you have to have 12 different powders on the, the deal. If you use uh, even trail boss you know you can you can experiment with a lot of different bullets that way and and the molds are still cheap uh lee molds are still they're under 30 bucks i think they used to be under 20 bucks you used to be able to buy them for 20 dollars, and, and that was a great deal i mean just a great deal and the old single <laughs> the old single cavity molds i think those were probably a 10 dollar item you know back in the day uh, we got another question coming up about Lee equipment, so I'll just defer to that. But anyway, that kind of ends the, the second portion and kind of gets us to a favorite portion, which is the questions and answers. So now for our first question, which is the related question to what I was just talking about, is why do you use Lee bullet casting equipment? And are there any tricks to using this? And what are, the, what are its advantages and disadvantages? That was actually like two questions I combined into one because they both asked the same thing. Um, number one, as I've stated before, I use Lee equipment because it is really economical. And I mean, go price the steel mold and then go price a Lee mold and you'll see that it's about... Uh, steel mold is about 100 bucks, maybe. You know, I, I'm just guessing. And a Lee mold is about 25, 30 bucks. So you can have three times as many. Back in the old days, it was even greater. You know, I probably have five times as many molds using aluminum molds as I would have with bu buying steel molds. I would only have probably just a very few. So when I can buy three molds for one, that's that's pretty good. Now steel molds are, are great. Um, they last a long time and, and all the rest of it, but they take a lot longer to heat up. They're a little more, a little more kind of user unfriendly. Aluminum is a great material for molds. And um, so that's why I, I kind of use that. So that's what I'm familiar with. 
Uh, the older style Lee mold, about, I don't know, a few years ago they changed their style. They went to a new and improved locking. When you when you clamp them together, it, it lines up and locks a lot better than the older ones do. For the older ones, you just get in a rhythm, you cast, you open it, you dump the bullets, you squeeze it together, and then you have to tap that mold. I tap it on the bottom and I tap it on the uh, the front edge. And that, that helps the lock up quite a bit. And, and you're squeezing the handles at the same time. And then you put the sprue plate back, go under your furnace, and, and go. So you, it pays to, if you buy an older mold, an older Lee mold, that's the technique you have to use. Now, unfortunately, three quarters of my molds are the older type. So I'm well used to having to do this. The newer molds are a lot more trouble free and really super nice. Um, really a pleasure to use. So that's it. Furnaces, you know, I it just Lee furnaces are just again, they're about a third of the price of some of these other ones, which is nice, but they do kind of leak and you have to, you know, you're continually kind of adjusting them a little bit. Uh, not a big deal for the convenience of a bottom pour, it's pretty good. Um, I like it. I mean, I like it as far as the bottom pour uh, pot goes, and again, they they do really well. I do not have one of the thermometers that they've been selling for decades. It cost about fifty bucks. Uh, what I do is I just bought one of those. I think it was in Tractor Supply. They had a little laser heat temperature gun thing for about I think it was twelve or fifteen bucks. That's what I use. You know, and that's I know, I know the number for when my furnace is hot enough, and I know the number for when my uh, lead is hot enough, and when my mold is hot enough. And when you get those th those three things in sync, uh, you can actually start pouring. You know, the first the first uh, bullet you pour out of your mold are going to be good. Uh, with steel molds, you have to heat them up, and and one of the ways you heat them up is to cast bullets in them until they become up. So the first 20 or 30 bullets you you can cast can be imperfect so for me for time wise for expense for the types of bullets I use uh, the Lee molds are absolutely great and uh, you know I can go on and on about this but they, they are a very very good um, alternative and they are very cost effective and, and the reason you cast is to save money I mean, I can buy a $300 lead furnace, but really, I mean, how many thousands of bullets am I going to have to cast to uh, to effectively pay for that? And you can go ahead and buy the you know the fancy lead dipper that you dip into these some because some of these furnaces, even the fancy ones, don't have a bottom pour. You have to dip in and then fill your fill your mold. Um, takes a lot more time. And, you know, how many thousands of bullets would I have to additionally cast to amortize the cost of that out? So I, I like the lower cost stuff. For what I do, it's great. And for turning out hundreds of bullets, it's fine. If I was going to turn out thousands of bullets, it, it I might make different, uh, different choices. But uh, I have used the uh, six cavity uh, molds that they make. It's called a gang mold. Um, and you know, there once you get them up to once you get them up to temperature and everything, man, you can crank some bullets out of those bad boys. I mean, 
you know it drops nine millimeter bullets like you read about every every time you fool with it put it under fill it with lead bring it out move the sprue plate and you know tap it and knock the bullets out i mean it's knocking out six bullets a time um you know you do a hundred of those and you got 600 bullets it's pretty darn good pretty darn good so lee equipment is the uh the stuff i use i think it's the really the best most cost effective stuff out there so that is the stuff with lee bullets okay here's another related question and i thought i kind of covered this but came up anyway uh, what bullets do you powder coat and why and i will say that the bullets that I, I don't powder coat like wad cutters because they're going at low velocity i'm not worried about letting why would i go through the additional step you know i just take allox and essentially lube those um so that's that's kind of where i am with those um or i'll use conventional lube and lube them you know i'm not really i'm not really big on powder coating something that doesn't need to be powder coated to me powder coating the magic in that is anything you're moving at a velocity like a lead rifle bullet something for a 30-30 say or you know even a pistol caliber carbine bullet is probably it's probably wise to powder coat those um, powder coating nine millimeter just seems to be smart anything you drive at velocity is smart to powder coat because it just stops the letting so it's it's a it's a really good way to to protect your bore so that's what i do with those um anything for black powder no i don't powder coat because it would defeat the purpose you really want the lead to to kind of you really want that to there's a fancy word they use obdurate i believe but you really want it to mush into the bore and grab the rifling and powder coating is kind of a harder substance you're putting on there and the other the other magic with black powder is the lube keeps the black powder residue soft so you can wipe it out if you don't have that kind of goopy black powder lube in there and some of that kind of nasty you know they use tallow and all this other stuff i use oil and beeswax and i find that that works fine for me but um you know use that spg that's a great lube too so you can use that and uh, it, it keeps that fouling in there um, basically soft so that every few shots you can swab out that bore and, and you won't have a buildup of that. And it's much, it's very important on uh, uh, cap and ball revolvers. I would never powder coat the balls I'm using in a, in a cap and ball revolver. So you really want them to be mushy. You really want to, to cut a ring off them when they when you seat them. You want them to fit tight and kind of mush them down in there. And you want them to, to, to be in the bore with that kind of, and you want to have a lot of lube around them so that they uh, um, keep that keep that fouling. The softer you keep it, the longer you can shoot. Because a revolver, after about 24, after about three cylinder fulls, you, you probably will wind up taking it apart and just at least wiping the uh, uh, some of that residue off so those are the bullets I powder coat and that is why okay here's another question if you were asked to go to a riot like Kenosha hmm that's the timing of that is impeccable um, how would you arm yourself well that's an interesting question I would say that I wouldn't need to arm myself because I'm not going I'm not going there um, 
one of my first rules of anything is don't go looking for trouble because you will find it and I don't know whose idea it was to hand a 17 year old an AR-15 and, and we talked about this before he, he was perfectly perfectly legitimate self-defense but putting him in that position is is that was the major failure in all this that nobody really wants to discuss or if they do discuss it they just sort of brush over it so anyway that the, the point of where there's violence like that the point of it is not to be there now let's just say that i own a jewelry store in the middle of something like that and i'm like oh god they're gonna throw you know some cinder blocks through the through the windows and, and loot the whole place you know i mean it's self-evident you want a powerful handgun as a sidearm and you want a high capacity uh, preferably 556 rifle so that's the that's you know that's the deal there um, and if you can't get the high capacity 556 rifle because you happen to live in California or you know the People's Republic of Massachusetts or some other some other unwise place to live then I would have a 12 gauge shotgun with buckshot and you know if you can get an extended tube on that it might look it'll look like a gamer gun but it, it's probably going to be uh, pretty good or if I would think one of those AK shotguns with a 10 shot magazine um, would be a great idea because you could at least you know you got interchangeable magazines you're under the whatever limits that they've set in these commie places and uh, you know you'll be okay you'll you'll be okay you'll be able to defend yourself against a whole lot so that's that's what I would say um, you know what gear would you find useful well it depends what you're actually doing there if you're defending a point a point target like a jewelry store or something that you know it's got valuables in it you don't have time to get them out and you know you can't you really can't afford to lose your inventory um, because face everything you know I mean that's that's just the sad truth so you know I would that's what I would do but I would also have lots of help and I would have you know I, this this business of going in solo is a loser because you cannot keep 363 security for yourself alone 100% of the time that's that's going to be too much and you know you don't with a team you can you can at least maneuver around and do things uh, and your ability of getting trapped like the Kenosha kid was when that guy cornered him like the first guy the child molester Rosenbaum cornered him and was going to take the gun away and that's that's why when the uh, the kid blasted him you know so um, that's all that's all what it is um, the whole point is you don't want to be unless you have absolutely no other choice you do not want to be the guy up on the <laughs> at the barricade trying to keep keep them out it's macho and it's cool but it's not going to be um, a pretty sight and you know face it we can't even get a fair trial in this country I mean that, that Kenosha kid had no fair trial even bite me even Joe bite me let's go Brandon Brandon Biden 
even Brandon, when he's talked about him as being a white supremacist, when there's no race component to this, other than that's what generated the riot, but that doesn't still, uh, you know, it, it's crazy. But, you know, so so is Biden. So there you go. So, you know, even Brandon gets it wrong. You can't get a fair trial. How, how, is, how is this kid going to get a fair trial? You know, the, the video evidence is compelling. He's innocent and he needs to be uh, exonerated. But, you know, it's, you know, the fact that he's even on trial shows you it's not a fair trial. They should have looked at the evidence and said, yeah, there's no case here. Clear cut, self-defense. That's what it should have been. So keeping out of trouble is the best way of dealing with trouble. And I mean, I know that that can sound kind of cowardly, but, you know, if the, in America today, being John Q. Public and standing up for your property and even yourself in self-defense can be very, very dicey. And it's better not to be where that's happening. Um, and if it's forced upon you, hey, you got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. But you know, if if this kid in Kenosha gets off, if he he walks, which he should, uh, he should consider himself very very lucky because they tried to portray him as a white supremacist, vigilante, wannabe soldier, troublemaker. He was he was portrayed as all those things, and I don't think the jury there is going to go for it. But if if they didn't have that video evidence, the clear-cut video evidence, uh, who knows what would happen. You know, maybe if the exact same thing had happened, but there was no videotape of it, wow. You know, you really think, what what could happen? And, and the fact of the matter is, life behind bars, you know, is a pretty horrible thing to be looking at you know so that the um the cash and carry car lot used car lot doesn't burn during these riots that's all i'm saying you know i mean it's one thing if you're trying to rescue a family member hey i'm all in and and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be laying people out i mean i am just gonna be i'm gonna be doing everything i possibly can to get to the family member and get them to safety but if you think i'm gonna defend a friend's used car lot from psychopaths alone even if I'm armed I'm, I'm not going to do it I mean it just I don't, I don't care yeah burn burn the 2006 Ford Taurus you know go ahead and burn that that's insured you know the the old Hummer H2 can go up and go up in smoke you know uh, I'm not going to defend a car I'm not going to risk my life defending a freaking car lot from psycho psycho zombie antifa scum i mean let let them burn that it's it's what i i want to protect things that are much more important which are people and the people around me so that's that's kind of how i would uh, would look at that i i mean you know there's so many good weapon choices out there you really couldn't go wrong you i would say that you know the the, the way to look at this is what weapons would be not as useful and i would say well maybe an over and under shotgun uh, probably not you know you got two shots a single shot or a two shot gun would be while it would be better than no gun it, it certainly would not be optimal it would be what's the new term they use suboptimal 
suboptimal. We used to use inferior, but people don't like that anymore. So um, a single action revolver would still be very useful, but not as useful as a military quality sidearm like a 1911 or a Glock or something something else whatever your choice is whatever the choice is but we all know that they're what what they are out there uh, so there are guns that are just not a, a hunting rifle with a like my Remington 700 ADL would be a crappy weapon to use there it's bolt action relatively slow it's got you know kind of a hunting scope on it so it's not good up close um, you know it's just it's powerful and it's reliable but it's it's probably something that you know if three guys charge you you're going to kill one of them then the other two guys you're going hand to hand with because you're not going to be able to get that second shot you know racked into the chamber fast enough so uh you know there there are guns that some guns are are good better than others at certain tasks so pcc would have been a good thing to have um yeah pcc even lever action you know 3030 would a 3030 couple guys with 3030s could put up some firepower you know and that's it's not an m1 grand and it's not an m14 or it's not you know m4 carbines but you know you can you can do some serious damage and uh um those are those are good guns even even a hundred and some years on 1894 that's ooh that's 125 years ago 125 years on it's still a uh, still a good gun so anyway well that's it for this edition of old school guns the podcast that tells you like it is and if you have any questions comments or anything that you just want to send to us you can do that's our carrier and we always look at those so anyway until Next time, this is Old School Guns, out.